announcements. Number one, in light of next week being uh, Christmas Eve and our service times being shifted to 3 o'clock and 5 p.m., it's just really important that uh, you try to get here early. I mentioned it last weekend. It, it's worth mentioning again. Uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, the tons of sinners are going to be shopping on Queen's, Queen Center Mall. And um, don't be a sinner. And uh, shopping on Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock or 3 o'clock. And so uh, you're going to want to get here early. This room gets really full. And it's one of the most beautiful services as we're lighting candles and doing that, all that stuff there. So it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful time. Uh, I want you to plan to be here about 30 minutes beforehand to get parking situated and all that uh, so that you're able to enjoy the service uh, with everyone. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is just related to something we do in the life of our church. Every year or so, we put out names before our congregation related to new elders that we're looking to uh, receive into uh, the, the board of our New Life Fellowship Church. And our elders really serve as uh, the group of people that really give oversight to New Life Fellowship as we're stewarding our values, our resources, as we're discerning very large issues. These are people who are volunteers who God has called to serve New Life in ways uh, that you don't, I mean, just in remarkable, remarkable ways. And uh, a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, we put out names or we, the invitation to submit names, and there were a couple of names that were submitted, and these folks have gone through a rigorous process of interviews and applications and all that. And so, I just, first of all, I just wanted to show you two elders that we are uh, in the process of finalizing our time with. Number one is just uh, Esther June and Lisa Yu, just two remarkable people uh, who have been a part of New Life for a really, really long time. And the final stage of this process is for our congregation to speak into this, letting us know whether an affirmation or as it relates to puzzles or questions that you might be having. Uh, so for example, if Lisa was just like throwing too many draw twos at you in a game of Uno and she just got really inappropriate with that, it's just like, I don't know, she should be an elder of our church here. Or if it's something a little bit more significant than that, that you're puzzled about why uh, she's up there as an elder, we would like to know and just have a conversation uh, about that. If there's affirmations that you want to send our way as to why Esther and Lisa uh, two wonderful women of God uh, would love to, would, uh, to be an elder. If you want to wor offer words of affirmation, we'd love to receive that as well. So we're going to do that for three weeks. That's just our process at New Life. If you email elders at newlife.nyc, we'd love to hear your feedback. But I am really thrilled at the prospect of Esther and Lisa uh, joining our board. It's going to be a really, really uh, good addition to our team. Okay, we're now in a series, uh, our third week, in a, a series entitled God with us, God with us. And over the course of these Advent weeks, we've been focusing on various themes, uh, and today we're going to focus on the theme of joy. Uh, we've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, we're talking about joy today, and then next week we're going to talk about love as themes of the spiritual life, themes of what it means to follow Jesus, themes of what it means to live uh, full lives that flourish in this world. And so we're going to focus on joy today, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that 
we've actually been in the last couple of weeks in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And so if you have a Bible, if you have your device, your iPad, whatever you're bringing to church these days, you can take it out and follow along. You can also follow along on the screen. Isaiah, chapter 1, verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. We're going to focus our attention on these verses and what God has to say to us as it relates to cultivating joy and living with joy in this world. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Do you see that? You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel, will be fuel for the fire. Why? Because unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is born. You might be wondering, what does this have to do with joy? It has everything to do with joy. And we're going to look at it together. Let's pray. Jesus, breathe on us now through the power of your spirit. Help us to see, Lord, everything you have for us in this passage and what it means for us to have our lives marked by your joy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Many of you know of a show that came out in 2019 entitled Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Marie is the Japanese organizing consultant and author who helps people organize their lives and minimize the clutter uh, in their homes. Uh, She helps people get rid of the clutter. In 2021, a new show came uh, from Marie called Sparking Joy, and she's known for a very simple question to help people decide whether something should stay in their lives or something should be let go from their lives. And the question very simply is, does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? And so the exercise is essentially, she takes all the clothes and whatever belongings people have, and they put it in the middle of the room, and it's in a pile, and one by one, takes the article of clothing, and the question is asked, does this spark joy? And if the answer is yes, then you keep it. Now, how the joy is being defined, I don't know, but, but does it spark joy? No, get rid of it, and so on and so forth. That's how people start decluttering their lives through the lens and the framework of whether it produces joy in their lives. Now, this is actually a good question, but it is actually a very limited way of understanding joy, and if we applied it to every aspect of our lives, it'll make us uh, have some bad decisions uh, in our lives. So, for example, for some of us, I know what you want to do. You want to put your husband and your kids and your dog and everything else in a pile in a room, and one by one, ask yourself, is 
is bringing me joy. You're not bringing me joy anymore, brother. It's time for you to go. Uh, or the children, you're not bringing me joy. I need you to leave for at least three or four hours. It, it, it's, it's a good question, but if you start applying it to all of life, amen, it's going to lead to some significant problems. But what she's getting at is something that we need to pay attention to, that joy is significant in the way we live our world. I've been aware of this, and by the way, just as a, as a side, uh, Marie Kondo's life has changed since she had children. I, I just want you to understand this. Earlier this year, she stopped this whole uh, de- de- decluttering stuff because she had two children, her second child and, and her third child's on the way, and so she's giving up tidying. She said, I, 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 it doesn't work anymore. Amen, Sister Marie. Amen. <laughs> Give yourself some grace, all right? Give yourself some grace. Now, this idea of joy is something that we all long for. Every single one of us, we long for joy. Every single one of us longs for happiness. As a matter of fact, on social media and in some conversation with some, with some congregants, I've been asking people, uh, what brings you joy? Or how do you know you have joy? Or what would it take for you to live with joy? And the responses, the emails, the text messages have been very interesting because most of the joy that people have described is joy if something happens, joy if this changes, joy if there's a drastic shift in my situation. And so the responses I got was, I'd be more joyful or I have joy if I met someone romantically. Uh, amen. All right. That's it. <laughs> someone understands. This is, don't fall for it. I, I feel it. What's that, Lord? Okay. Um, some, some have responded, I'd feel joy if I got a new job, or I'd feel joy if my sports team finally won, then I would feel joy. And I recognize all that, and I resonate with all that, but that's not the definition of biblical joy. Christian joy runs far deeper than that. Our joy, the joy of the world, is often marked by circumstances, often marked by situations. But Christian joy, biblical joy, runs far deeper than that. Christian joy, biblical joy, is is far more stable than that. Christian joy, biblical joy, is far more constant than that. Because joy flows from the life of God. And whether your circumstances matches what you are hoping for, joy can be a constant in your life because the ever-flowing life of God is coming to us at every moment of our lives. There's not a moment of our day when God's love and God's joy and God's peace is not moving towards us. God's joy is constant. God's joy is stable. God's joy is unshaken. God's joy is for us. And what the world is longing for is joy. The world is longing for happiness. A couple of years ago, the New York Times put out an article entitled, Yale's Most Popular Class Ever, and it was happiness. Their most popular class ever of Yale University was on happiness. There was a course on psychology called Psychology and the Good Life, which it, with an emphasis on happiness, an emphasis on joy. And 300 people signed up immediately. Within three days, that figure doubled. Another three days after that, 1,200 people, a quarter of Yale's undergraduates, signed up for this course because there was something that these students were longing for, a sense of the good life, happiness, joy. 
And this is not just for university students. This applies to every single one of us in this room watching online. No matter where you find yourself, we all are longing for joy. And what we see in our text today is the good news that in the Messiah, joy has become a reality. In the coming of the Messiah, joy now, the joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away, has become our reality. And what Isaiah does in this passage that I just read, I want to summarize what Isaiah is essentially saying in those first five verses. Isaiah is saying very simply these words, that joy comes when God breaks in. Oh, 300 of you missed an opportunity to say amen. I'm going to give you another opportunity to respond with joy. Listen to this. Joy comes when God breaks in. Amen. That's the truth of the matter. And what Isaiah is letting us know is that the joy that you're really longing for will come when God breaks in. And I don't know about you, I don't know how you came to church today, I don't know why you came to church today, but this is what I know about just about every single one of us in this room and watching online. We are all longing for God to break into some area of our lives. We, we came to church longing and hoping for some of you, you need God to break into the dynamics of your family, that your family has not known joy. And your family has not known peace. And your family has not known love. And you realize you need a miracle from the hand of God to interact into your life of your family. You need God to break in to the dynamics of your family. For some of you, you need God to break into the dynamics of your psychology. You've been struggling and, and trying to wrestle with what does it mean to live a life of joy and happiness. And what you're longing for is God to break into your life. And let you know that there's a new reality that is possible. Some of you need decisions and have decisions that you need to make. And you're longing for God to break in to produce something in you that you cannot produce for yourself. Which, by the way, is a good definition of grace. What is grace? Grace is God doing for you and in you and through you what you can't do for yourself. And God longs to pour out joy on his people. God wants to pour out joy in your life today. God sees you. God knows the pain, the struggles of your life, and the living God is here right now to pour out joy, to fill you with his peace, to fill you with the life of God. And this is what Isaiah is essentially saying. Now, of all the Advent themes of peace and joy and hope and love, joy might be the most challenging one for us to live. And here's why. At least two reasons. It's hard to live with joy because some of us, it's hard to feel joy when circumstances around you don't feel joyful. So it feels hard to cultivate joy when your life is not reflecting joy. It's just, it feels hard. That's the first reason why it's hard to live with joy. The second reason why it's hard to live with joy is because it feels bad. To have joy when there's so much pain in the world. And so it feels hard and it feels bad. How can we rejoice, we say, when you see what's happening in Gaza and in Israel? How can we sing and rejoice when you see the pain that's happening in different places in the world? I want to tell you that Isaiah, the way that he ex understands and explains joy, will help us deal with 
The feeling of joy when it feels hard and when we feel bad. Because Isaiah has a way of speaking about joy that our world typically doesn't understand. When our world understands joy or thinks about joy, we're thinking about happy situations, feeling really good. But Isaiah in this passage adds a layer that often we don't appreciate. And what Isaiah is doing in this passage here is he's saying that joy and justice go together. What is justice? Justice is our world being put right because of the Messiah. What is justice? Justice is the poverty that we see, the war we see, the injustice that we see. Justice and the truest biblical sense of the word is God putting things right, that which we think is wrong, that peace and joy and love. And Isaiah says the only way that joy truly emerges is when justice comes. And so for Isaiah, he names three things in this passage why we should have joy. Even though we don't experience it fully, why should we have joy? Why should we sing? Why should we cultivate practices of joy? Isaiah talks about three different things. Number one, he says that the rod of the oppressor will be broken. Number two, warfare will be eliminated. Number three, the true king is coming. Amen. Why should we have joy? Because the rod of the oppressor will be broken. Second, in this passage, warfare will be eliminated. Third, the true king is coming. And what I want to do is I want to very briefly talk about these things and why this should be cause for joy. Isaiah tells a day when the people of God will be set free from oppression. In Isaiah's time, that word meant that there was a particular nation known as Assyria who was oppressing them. And the word that Isaiah says was that this nation is going to come a point where this nation will not have dominance over their lives. Isaiah says God is going to break in and rescue them from the dominance they're experiencing at the hand of this nation. And that word is for back then, but it's a word that applies to us right now. Because a day is coming, brothers and sisters, when all oppression shall cease. A day is coming when nations who oppress and destroy others will cease to be. A day is coming when domestic violence will cease to be. A day is coming when child abuse will cease to be. A day is coming when bombs that kill innocent children will cease to be. A day is coming when the acts of terrorists will cease to be. A day is coming when, when, when the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, is going to reign over all the earth. And what has happened in the Messiah Jesus is that he has now already put into effect that which will be fully realized when he comes again. And so Advent, remember, Advent means arrival, coming. God has come in Jesus. God is is coming today in Jesus, right at this very moment, to the power of the Holy Spirit. And God one day will fully come in Jesus Christ to set all things right. And so what we do is now, today we anticipate and live into what will be our inheritance when Jesus fully and finally reigns. And why is this important? Because when Jesus came, he didn't just address the symptoms of oppression, in Jesus, the very source of oppression was addressed. 
When Jesus dies on the cross, he dies to defeat the bullies of sin, the bullies of death, the bullies of the devil. Jesus comes on the cross. Jesus comes in his preaching and his teaching and his casting out of demons and his preaching of the kingdom of God coming and is now here. He has now dealt with the bullies of sin, the bullies of death, the bullies of the devil. That really serves as the source of the problems that we're seeing in the world. And while we wait for Jesus to fully make these things right, Today, we can begin to experience what has already been achieved for us on the cross. Some of you came to church today, and you're being oppressed by addictive behaviors, oppressed by a system, a family system that you've been a part of. Good news is for you. The freedom of God is for you. The Messiah has come. Oppression shall cease. Secondly, Isaiah says, The reason we can rejoice is because warfare will be eliminated. Therefore, there's reason for hope, reason for joy. As Christians, we don't sing because everything is settled. Our songs are sung in faith, that there's a day that is coming, which is why we we sing today about what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't make sense to the world. The world sings on the basis of what has already happened. So something good happens, you sing about it. Christians are the opposite. We sing even before something has happened because we sing in confident hope that God is at work at this very moment before our eyes can see it. That's why we sing. Can I just pause for a second? This is why we are to sing and worship. We don't sing because it's already done. We don't sing because the prayer has been answered. Sometimes we do, but we often sing because we're waiting for something to happen. We sing in hope. And Isaiah says, one day war is going to be eliminated. Now, I know this is a hard thing to believe because the story of human pride, the story of greed, the story of sin is such that war is inevitable. And we've become so accustomed to conflict and war that we can't even imagine peace. And Isaiah is trying to give us a new framework, a new lens to see life. From time to time, I meet with people in our church, and they'll come to me with good news. Someone say, Pastor Rich, I I, I met someone, and I'm really happy how things are turning out at this point, starting to date someone. And then they'll come to me a little bit later with just some concerns. The concern being, this person seems too good to be true. And so they're suspicious, they're cynical, they're doubting, something has to be wrong. And it's often the case where I'm talking to people who've grown up up in volatile homes, who've grown up with abusive patterns, who all you have seen is dysfunction. And so when something good comes your way, it's just like something has to be wrong here. It can't be this good because we've been so formed and trained in a way to see the world. The same thing applies to war. We've been so trained to see the world in a particular destructive way, but Advent reminds us this is not the only way to see the world, that there's something else that's happening right here, right now, that God is breaking in right here, right now. And no, we're not seeing it in its totality, but we have joy because one day it will happen. Therefore, we sing and we hope and we carry joy. 
Here's the point. War will end one day when, fully, when Jesus fully reigns over the world, and war can stop ending today as we seek to work with Jesus and the way of joy and the way of peace. But why does Isaiah say we have to have joy? The oppressor will be broken, the rod. The warfare will be eliminated, and the true king is coming. The true king is coming. For unto us a child is born. That should produce joy. Why? Not because the baby's cute. It is to produce joy because the baby's king. Because the baby's king. And the baby is going to rule with justice and rule with love and rule with peace in a way that the world has never seen. Jesus Christ is going to fully rule and reign. So we sing and we anticipate and hope and invite God to cultivate joy in us. What Isaiah is saying is very simply this. The joy that we're longing for is produced by God. It's produced by God. And that is a much needed corrective for our culture. Because our culture believes not that joy is produced by God. Our culture believes that joy can be purchased by us. And what Isaiah is letting us know is like, no, 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 no. The joy you're longing for can't be purchased. The joy you're longing for can only be produced by God. I know you gave your wish list. I, I know you're waiting for that special gift. And listen, I put mine in too, all right? And so I, I'm waiting. I'm, I, I'm waiting. And I know I'm going to be happy and it's going to be nice. And I'm taking lots of selfies and I'm going to be on Instagram and all the rest there. But that's not the joy that I'm really longing for. The joy you're longing for can't be purchased. It can only be produced by God. This is to make us think about how we're being advertised to. Mark Sayers, an Australian author and kind of social uh, analyst, said, once upon a time, products were sold on the basis of their function. People were told, buy this soap because it will make you clean. Buy this suit because it's well-made. Buy this car because it's safe and will be economical for your family. But he notes this important shift that advertising, marketing, products, services, goods have shifted from function to experience. From function to experience. And so it's not buy this soap because it'll make you clean. It's buy this soap because it'll make you happy. Have you seen them washing those edges? They look just so happy. Buy this suit, not because it's well made, buy this suit because you look good and you'll get the girl in the process. I mean, and then you'll be happy. Then it'll be happy. Everything is now producing a particular end, a particular experience. Buy this car, not because it's economical. Buy this car because you'll feel really great about yourself. And what happens is when we are living along those lines and how we're being marketed to and deceived, we believe that we can purchase joy. Listen, joy has been purchased for sure, but it's not been purchased by our dollars. It's been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The joy that we're longing for has been purchased 2,000 years ago through Jesus Christ. And that joy is only produced by God. I love how Pastor Jackie said it. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not something that we manipulate on our own. Joy comes when God breaks in. And so here's a question for us in this Advent season. If it's true that joy comes because God produces it and joy comes when God breaks in, what does it mean to position ourselves to receive it? If joy is produced 
How do we receive it? I don't want you to walk out here going, that's really nice, but, but, but what does it mean to live into it? I want to show you. What does it mean to live in joy? What does it mean to receive joy? What does it mean to embody joy? I want to offer just a few practices to help us receive joy. Because every moment, friends, the joy of the Lord is coming your way. I want, right now, right this moment, God's joy is coming right down your aisle, right down your street. God's coming to you right at this very moment. The question is, are we positioning ourselves to receive it? When I was in Little League, uh, I was a terrible baseball player, and my, my father kept having me play baseball, and it was really awful, but I played second base, and for you baseball players, uh, you know, I'm left-handed, so why I was on second base, I don't know, uh, and, and I was just there, and this would be me every time the pitch was about to be thrown. I had one hand here and my glove here, and I was like this here. And dad would say to me, son, you're going to get hurt, number one, if you're just in this position with your glove. Well, I was more like this here, glove in this way here, hand on the side there. You're going to get hurt. He says, I, I need to teach you how to prepare for the ball coming your way. And so he, he'd teach all the kids. My father, somehow, he was the parent that was outside the fence. And by the end of the year, he was like the president of the baseball league. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> but, but he would say, get in position. And have one glove out and open your stance here and bend down so that when the ball comes your way, you're ready to receive it. I want to tell you, listen, the ball of God's joy is coming your way right now. And some of you are like this. Some of you are like this. I want to, I want to show you. What does it mean to live like this? Amen. To receive the joy of the Lord. Pastor Rich, if you only knew what's going on, I know this pain, I know this trouble, but joy is available to you as well. Joy is here. Joy is here. Listen, before I talk about practices, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, when? Always. And again, I say rejoice. When Paul wrote those words, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he was not writing from an all-inclusive resort. <laughs> he was not writing from a really wonderful cruise. He was not writing from the beach in beautiful weather. Paul was not saying, oh, with, with, with the pina colada in his hand, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. No, no. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, he's writing that from a, a perhaps a dark, a cold, perhaps rat-infested prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because God's joy is coming to us no matter what. Right now, God's joy is coming. And listen, you don't have to look happy to have joy. As a matter of fact, some of the people who look happiest are often the people who are most deficient with joy. Not always, but often. Think about people like Robin Williams and people who, who, who are comedians who for their living make other people laugh. Lives are marked by happiness, and yet their internal struggle that they're not living the kind of life that they're exuding. And you and I know this to be true as well, that we can look happy but not be happy. Joy is something far deeper than a smile on your face. Joy comes with tears streaming down your eyes. Joy comes even when you got laid off. Joy can come even when the relationship is over. Joy can come even when the medical uh, report did not come back favorable. Joy can come right at this very moment because joy is not something that we manipulate. Joy is something that's produced by God. 
Now, how do we receive it? I want to offer a few practices to help us to receive it, a few things we can begin to integrate in our lives, practices of joy, the discipline of joy. And I know that doesn't sound right, because when some of you think about discipline, you don't think about joy, but discipline of joy. Number one, if you want joy, you want to catch joy, joy comes in what we're doing right now, in worship. Joy comes in worship. There is something about gathering with the people of God. There is something about lifting our voices. As a matter of fact, there are are entire articles about why singing is not just good spirituality, but but good psychology. Why singing changes your mood. Why, Why singing can promote good mental health. And we're not singing because it's good. We're singing because God is God. We're singing because Jesus is king and Jesus is alive. But there's something about worship, something about singing, something about opening ourselves up to Holy Scripture, something about offering our lives to God that produces joy. But I want to park on this singing thing for a second. It was St. Augustine who said, the person who sings prays twice. If you want to double your prayers, start singing. Because there's something about song, there's something about singing that accesses a part of your heart that just regular conversation cannot. And in Sunday worship, as we lift our voices before the king, you're positioning yourself for his joy. There have been times I've been driving in the car and I just put a worship song on and it's just a bad day and all of a sudden I'm surprised. Have you ever been surprised by joy? And all of a sudden, it's just like something shifted in your soul. When we worship together, when we sing in our homes and worship together, we open ourselves up for joy. You want joy? I think Jesus has something to say about this. Orient your lives. Grow in proximity to children if you want joy. You ever notice the older we we, we get, the more delight deficient we become? And children can teach us a thing or two about joy. This is why, and I say this pastorally, and I say this, uh, the church, you're not doing the church a favor, ultimately, by working with children, volunteering with children. The church is doing you a favor. Because the church is helping you to enter into a source of joy in close proximity to the source of joy. I'll help out with the kids. No, 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 Uh, We're giving you a gift. (laughs) No, thank you, thank you. But we're giving you a gift to be close to a source of joy. Yesterday, we had 200 people in the room. It it was delightful. The shouts, the screaming, the squeals, the, the songs. It was just joy in this room with all these children in this space. And if you want to grow in proximity, now, I know what you're saying. Pastor Rich, not my child. I, is that, is and, and sometimes, can I just confess something? Sometimes it's just easier to have joy with other people's children. It's just like, because uh, I see you later. I don't have to see you for another week or so. I, I get it. But Jesus says, let the children come unto me. Don't hinder them. Because he knows that they are a source of joy. And so what an opportunity for us to serve children in our church and giving yourself a gift of joy. How do we have joy? What does it mean to catch joy, to receive joy, to live in joy? It means we practice generosity. Something about the Christmas season, isn't it, that when you give a gift to someone else and you see the look on their face, 
that's often so much better than what you receive. I think Jesus had something to say about that, for it is better to give than to receive. There's something about offering generosity to someone else and seeing their eyes light up. You were made for generosity because we serve a generous God. You were made to be joyful, and joy often comes through generosity. Your generosity in time, your generosity in your finances, your generosity in the experiences and the skills that you have. You want joy? For some of you, 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 you've been holding back. You've been afraid. You've had maybe a a scarcity mentality. I, I don't know if I can be generous with what God has entrusted to me. And yet God is saying to you, open your hands and be generous because joy is coming your way. Joy, joy. How do, how do you have joy? It means we have a spirituality of play and delight. Play and delight. Some of you came into church today. Your life has been marked by work after work after work, nonstop work. And yet there's something before us in play and delight and recreation that I hope you hear this as a prophetic word to you this day. If you keep working and working and working and working, your soul is going to be so deprived of the joy of God. And yet before you, there is an opportunity to play. This is why the holidays is such a gift. The holidays is because it, it creates space for us for play and delight. And we have an opportunity. Jesus, is that you? I, we have an opportunity. Is that you, Lord? Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you are. Uh, <laughs> Lastly is this. How do we cultivate joy? How do we perceive it? This is not an exhaustive list, but it's through prayer. There's something really mysterious about prayer, something mystical about prayer something profoundly sacred and spiritual about prayer, that when you position yourself to be with God in uninterrupted time, opening yourself up to the presence of Jesus, he has a way of surprising us with joy. When's the last time you've taken a moment to step away from everything and to position yourself for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes, and say, Jesus, I want to live, lift mind and heart to you. I want to be with you. That in prayer, there's something that God does in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And so if you want to position yourself, I wonder, where is the Spirit of God inviting you to pay close attention to this week? For some of us, it is Sunday worship. For some of us, this is your first time in a long time, and I'm so glad you're here. But there's some of us that say, you know what? I'm going to now make Sunday worship a part of my, my, of my relationship with God. For some of us, I am going to start volunteering and, 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 and serving children. For some of us, I am, for the first time, going to be generous. For some of us, I am going to mark out time for play and delight and not live a life that's marked by work and overwork. For some of us, I'm giving my life towards prayer. Whatever it is, God's grace and God's joy is coming at this very moment. And God invites us to live with a kind of rejoicing, a kind of joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. And if you want to know the secret to living a life that's marked by vitality and resilience and strength, It is found in this very word, 
It was Nehemiah who actually said it this way. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And as we sing, and as we worship, and as we open ourselves up to the life of God, we position ourselves for that joy that can give us the strength that we desperately long for. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Lord, it is so easy to live in this world missing all the ways that you're moving towards us in joy. For some of us, the, the, the ball of joy has come our way over and over again, but we have not been in position to receive it. And this day, I pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, to position ourselves, to receive the joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. Help us, O oh Lord, to not just see joy as a fleeting feeling, but joy as the presence of justice, joy as the presence of your love, joy as the outworking of your activity in our lives and in the world. Lord, help us to see that to have joy is to have the steadfast commitment that you are at work in our lives at this very moment. And even though we can't feel it, and sometimes we don't see it, we sing to you in hope. We sing to you in faith, trusting that you are at work at this very moment. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we sing to you right now, that your Spirit would now infuse us, that the fruit of the Spirit would emerge, that we would find ourselves in a deeply spiritual state of joy. And so we open ourselves up to you now in song. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Let's all stand, let's sing with everything we have.